0: One of the many things I am excited about in our ministry together as Ingwood Church is the restoration of this wetland area. We host part of the headwaters of Denny Creek, runs through our property, and we have invested a number of us time and money and effort and attention to bringing wholeness to this place. It was a bunch of blackberries and other weeds, and now, well... We're in late spring and just look at it, come to life for the summer. And it's an image for all of us of shalom, this Hebrew concept of peace, but not just peace, absence of fighting, peace when everything fits together well, which leads us to our scripture this morning, where Jesus pronounces a blessing on the peacemakers that they will be known as the sons and daughters of God. Please join me in prayer as we ask God to make this word live in us. Ah, Lord Jesus, those many years ago in your conversation with the people in the mountain and many other places, I'm sure you used these words to direct us to this beautiful life you offer. And do that, we pray, for us, right here, wherever we are, that we would enjoy you and this life you offer. Amen. Matthew 5. 1, 9. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. This past year, we have been forcibly reminded that we do not live in a world where things work well, where things are put together well, where peace reigns. It was a year ago in the city of Minneapolis that a man named George Floyd lost his life over the course of nine and a half minutes under the knee of a police officer. And that experience for all of us who watched that video, it crystallized a reality that, of course, we've been living together as a nation for a very long time, that we are not at peace. Yes, we enjoy the wonderful spring weather as we did last year this time, but we know that things are not well around us or in us. In the providence of God, and that had been arranged for many weeks before this ever happened, uh, my friend and colleague Ben Park, who is from Minneapolis-St. Paul, was preaching for us, leading us in worship that very week, a year ago. Uh, but over the year that's happened since, has anything really persuaded us that everything around us is is peace and everything around us is going well? I, I, I dare say No. Political division, if anything, has deepened. The sense that we're living in alternate realities, or at least the other people are, has only deepened. And our experience of this chaos and infighting and deep partisan division that we're experiencing in the United States, uh, other people in other countries are experiencing this too. It's not just us. Our friends in Colombia, for instance, are in the middle of a huge national strike. The president there is down to something like 74-75% unpopularity rating. Like 84% of the people support the protests as long as they stay peaceful. But they are experiencing on the streets violence in a way that we in the United States can, can recognize all too well now. And of course, it's not just the social and political kinds of things going on that we know we're not at peace. Uh, You may have heard, it's a little under the radar. There was this kind of virus that was going around and people wearing these everywhere. And yet it's in this crazy world that Jesus invites us into this beautiful life. This beautiful life of not just being at peace in ourselves as individuals, but being peacemakers and being known as the sons and daughters of God. Now, we've been listening in for a while on Jesus' conversation, these pronouncements of blessing, that fortunate and glad and what a gift, this high five from God to these different people who are pretty unexpected from from our perspective. A pronouncement of blessing and favor on those who are poor in spirit, who understand that they actually don't bring anything to God, but God gives freely. This pronouncement of blessing on those who mourn, who don't actually separate themselves from, well, the sadness of the world, but instead enter in and God gives those people comfort. That the ones who use their strength with true meekness, that they're gentle with their strength for others, are the ones who actually end up with all the toys at the end, if you want to put it that way. That those who hunger and thirst for what they don't have yet, hunger and thirst specifically for rightness and righteousness, that they're the ones who are going to be satisfied, not the people who think they are righteous already. And that those who receive Jesus blessing, who, who live this beautiful life. And then it's the, the merciful who receive mercy, not people who deserve it, because of course it wouldn't be mercy then, but they are blessed who show mercy. And the pure in heart, the folks who are pure at their core, who've received that purity through Jesus as a gift. And this week we come to this pronouncement of blessing and favor and fortune to those who are peacemakers in a world that is anything but peaceful. And let's clear up one thing right away. The peace that Jesus is inviting us into making, pronouncing a blessing on those who produce it is not an absence of conflict. It's the re-weaving together of things of complexity so that they're whole and complete and vibrant and life-giving. I highly recommend you watch the video, it's three and a half minutes long, done by The Bible Project. They do a great job of visually giving you an image of what this peace, this shalom, this wholeness and rightness is that we are blessed if we make. When we last explored these Beatitudes together some eight years back, I used the example of a virus, something that destroys Shalom, that takes apart the right working. And I think it's one we can all relate to nowadays, yeah? That this thing that's just so, so, so literally microscopically small, you can fit like 2,500 of them on a period at the end of a sentence, and yet all it takes is these microscopic invisible things at the core of who we are and it undoes so much good and that's the biblical understanding of both shalom peace and what rips it apart that whether it's the level of the body disrupted by a virus or a whole society disrupted by a virus of injustice prejudice inertia, unwillingness to choose to be our brother and our sister's keeper, that those things, though they're invisible in people's hearts, are the unmaking of all that's good and would give us flourishing together. And make no mistake, this shalom, this rightness, this wholeness that we are invited into living, is a gift of God, and it's something that we are invited to partner with God in producing both internally and well together communally. Again and again in the prophets, God speaks to his people and invites them into partnership with him to make things right, not just in their personal lives with people they're blood related to, but for society as a whole. For example, in the prophet Zechariah, as God's people had come back out of exile, God says there's going to be a new re-sowing of peace, of shalom. God is going to send it. God is planting seeds of shalom back in the ground. It's going to spring up. But they're not just invited to sit back and wait for it. They're invited to strengthen weak hands, to participate with God in specific moral ethical and communal choices so that peace shalom rightness righteousness justice would exist in their lives again individually and together similarly in the prophet jeremiah decades earlier just before god's people are finally sent all of them to Babylon. Some of them have already been taken captive. Some of them are still in Jerusalem, Judea, and they're hoping that, really, this is a minor blip. It's all going to go away. Like the coronavirus, right? It was only going to be a few weeks. Exile is going to be over. Everyone's going home. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. God tells you, you're going to be in Babylon for a very long time. In Jeremiah chapter 29, build houses there, plant gardens there, raise your kids, make sure that they find spouses if God so wills for them so that you'll have grandkids and those kids. You're gonna be there a while. And here's the thing, seek the shalom of Babylon, seek the peace, seek the welfare of Babylon, this country that just conquered you. Seek its welfare, seek its prosperity, seek its shalom because in its shalom you'll have your shalom. God will give these things and we're invited to partner with him for ourselves and even for our enemies. And a word about this blessing here, this, they will be known as, they will be called sons of God, which sounds both um, a little odd and a little misogynistic and sexist, yeah? To the modern ear. But In the Hebrew idiom, in the Hebrew language, when someone was known as a son of, and we'll get to the the gendered part of that in a moment, when someone was called a son of something, it means they're taking on the character known for having the character of this other thing. So instance, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, we have folks who are known as sons of worthlessness, the rabble-rousers, the vandals, the, the people who just go around causing trouble for other people. There are other people who are sons of the prophets, who are studying under the prophets, apprenticing under the prophets, taking on the character of God's chosen messengers and are known for their association because their character is godly, like the prophets of God are godly. The son of the prophets was to be known as someone who is absorbing the character Of the prophets, but also inheriting the gifts and blessing of the prophets. So here to be known as a son of God is to receive the full inheritance rights that God bestows on his own people, on his own family. See in most cultures in the ancient world, and honestly in many places still today, girls are often excluded from full inheritance rights. Boys are favored. But in the economy of God, in the family of God, everyone is included. There is no second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Everyone is included. And so in the ancient world, this was the most inclusive way of phrasing it, that men and women alike are invited to be known as, called by God as, God's own dear, and we would say children, fully included with full inheritance of all God's blessings forever. I could speak at some length about how God builds in us a a character of peace, how God restores shalom within, but I would simply encourage you to to go check out the first six videos of this series, In the Beautiful Life, and come back to the conversation here. And I could speak at great length about specific steps we might take in the world around us to be peacemakers and step into this blessing and favor that that Jesus names here. But stories are just so effective in teaching us, don't you think? So does Jesus, by the way, which is why he tells so many stories, but one that has deeply impacted my life over many, many years. I first heard this story when I was in middle school. It's been a while. But a story from a guy named Brennan Manning, a Catholic priest about another man named Dominic who deeply influenced him. See, Brennan Manning was living for a time in France with a small community of brothers And the rhythm of life was their evenings were given to solitude and prayer. Their daytimes were given to blue-collar work. They went out and got jobs, but then they would gather back for the evening meal, spend the evening in rhythms of, of, again, solitude and prayer, spend the night sleeping, wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, and then go off to work again. And this, this rhythm of everyday life lived with Jesus and each other and then out in the world deeply formed him. But what Brendan Manning says is that formed him even more was the influence of this particular man, Dominic. Brendan Manning relates how over breakfast one morning as the the brothers were there and about to start their day, uh, conversation turned to their bosses, the supervisors at these various places where they worked during the day. And um, as he writes, a German brother remarked that our wages were substandard. I commented that were never seen in church with us on Sundays. A French brother suggested that this really showed hypocrisy on the part of these other people. A Spanish brother said, goodness, how rude and greedy. The tone grew more caustic and the Savos grew heavier. We concluded that our avaricious bosses were nasty self-centered Cretans who never once lifted their minds and hearts in thanksgiving to God. Manning tells, however, that during this conversation, Dominic, the, the leader of the community, sat off at the end of the table and just wasn't participating at all. didn't didn't say a word. Throughout our harangue, he never opened his mouth, writes Brennan Manning. I glanced down the table and I saw tears, tears, coming down his cheeks. What's the matter, Dominic? I asked. And in what was barely a whisper, through his tears, Dominic responded, they don't, they don't understand. How many times since then, writes Manning, has that single sentence of Dominic's turned a resentment of mine into compassion? How often have I reread the story of Jesus' passion? Through the eyes of Dominic, seen Jesus in the throes of his death agony beaten and bullied, scourged, spat upon, saying, Father, forgive them. They, they don't understand. Brendan Manning calls Dominic the most non-judgmental person that he had ever known, that he loved with the heart of Jesus Christ. And yes, the day came when that group of folks around the park asked Dominic to tell them something about himself. And so he, he gave them a thumbnail sketch of, of his own life and assured them that Jesus loves them tenderly and fiercely, that Jesus had come for outcasts and rejects just like them. And see, by that point, those those people believed him because the good news of Jesus had been enfleshed on Dominic's own body. Jesus' welcome and hospitality for them had been lived out in real time with them. And as one old-timer put it, speaking later on, pretty much immediately that very day, the dirty jokes and the petty thievery and the leering at the girls all just kind of stopped. It just went away because they experienced the love of Jesus, the peace, the wholeness of Jesus that, that came through Dominic. One morning, Dominic failed to appear on his park bench men grew concerned. A few hours later, he was found dead on the floor of his small apartment. He died in the obscurity of a Paris slum. Manning concludes the story in this way, that in Dominic, he writes, I saw the reality of a life lived entirely for God and for others. After an all-night prayer vigil by his friends, Dominic was buried in a plain pine box in the backyard of the brother's house in Saint-Rémy. A simple wooden cross over his grave with these simple words said it all, Dominic Viome, a witness to Jesus Christ. And 7,000 people from all over Europe came to his funeral. Now the reality is, None of us is called to live Dominic's life. We would be unfaithful on one level if we even tried because we all bring unique gifts and strengths to God's family as God calls us in and adopts us. But what is true, what is our invitation is to live a life of poverty of spirit gentleness with what we have to grieve the losses of this world and show deep mercy to others to hunger and thirst for righteousness and yes to be people who are pure of hearts and make peace and just like Dominic God invites us in all the beauty of the world to live this beautiful Life in Jesus. May that be true of every one of us. Amen.